This week on Girls on Film, I talk to actor Rosamund Pike about her daring new movie and about how sex scenes are changing. Jay was utterly sensitive. I mean, he said, this is all about this relationship. He said, I'm not interested in nudity here. It's about intimacy. And I'm interested in, 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 in a rare moment of sort of truth and vulnerability for Marla in this. It's not about, you know, two women in a shower. I also chat to actor Stacey Martin about film, feminism and her experience with the movie Nymphomaniac. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face, you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Welcome to Girls on Film. I'm your host, Anna Smith, and today we're joined by two talented actresses who have plenty to say about representation on screen. First up is the Oscar-nominated star of films including Gone Girl, A Private War and Radioactive. And she's just been nominated for a Golden Globe for her new film, I Care A Lot. Directed by Jay Blakeson, I Care A Lot is a bitterly funny, fast-paced thriller with a knockout performance from our guest. She plays Marla, a slick, ruthless businesswoman who's exploiting the care home system by being appointed a legal guardian to rich elderly folks. She is, of course, Rosamund Pike. It is always a pleasure to speak to you. And uh, may I say congratulations on the Golden Globe nomination for I Care A Lot. Thank you. That was a big surprise, wasn't it? <laughs> well, not to me, because I think you're phenomenal in this. But <laughs> did you, How did you celebrate? <laughs> Well, I was working, I was, I was doing an, a really interesting audio project that I'm working on. And, um, and so I was sort of completely submerged in another headspace in a recording studio. So, uh, you know, didn't even come up for air till six hours after the nominations were announced and, wow. and discovered it, you know, with this sort of beautiful, uh, you know, complete surprise you know, when your mind has been so much elsewhere that it, it didn't, I hadn't even factored in that that was the day of nominations or, or, you know, I haven't been thinking about awards for this film. I haven't, there hasn't been, I'm, I'm very, very excited for it to be released. And I think it will suit people's appetites at this time. Oh my gosh, I, I relished watching it, I must say, because we've seen a lot of different genres of film this past year, but I haven't seen one like this. And I'm such a big fan of films like The Last Seduction and To Die For, you know, getting a sort of darkly comic approach to a clever, ruthless woman. But of course, this has its own tone. Can you talk to me a little bit about Marla and getting that tone and getting that character? Well, funnily enough, you've pinpointed two films that I rewatched uh, in preparation for uh, for playing Marla because you know both Nicole Kidman and Linda Fiorentina they they both have that ability to be uh, appalling in their behaviour and yet really fun to watch and I thought that's what uh, you know that is precisely what I need to achieve with this character. She needs to be dreadful, but you can never not find her fun or, or want to go on there spend time with her. And I think it's the ingenuity of her plan. And I think the other thing is, she never asks you to care about her. You know, there's never a moment where she derails 
the trajectory of her scheme by, you know, giving you a sob story or asking you to delve into her childhood or anything like that. And I think, you know, that one of the secret is, you know, rather like the Wolf of Wall Street for, for a man, you've just got to kind of unashamedly go out trying to get, you know, all you can out of this life, you know, no matter who is your, who are the casualties of your uh, ne'er-do-well ways. Um, so, uh, yeah, so it was, it was, you know, and, and I felt, I trusted Jay Blakeson, our writer-director, because I know that when he's directing his own material, he's a real master of tone. And I knew that he would get that. And if we had actors who also understood the tone, we'd be away. Good morning, Miss Peterson. I'm sorry to disturb you so early. The court has ruled that you require assistance in taking care of yourself. <laughs> I'm fine. I'm afraid it's not up to you to decide. The court has appointed me to be your legal guardian. What? You have to come with me. And remember, I'm here to help. My name is Marla Grayson. I'm just someone who cares. Marla Grayson. You've had amazing success. What's your secret? There is no secret, Peter. She forces them into the home, auctions off their house, and uses the proceeds to pay herself. Because caring is my job. Sit! I will grab your dick and balls, and I will rip them clean off. Big deal maker. I know what you do here. Your hustle. Look at all these cash cows on your wall just leaking money into your account. But Jennifer Peterson, she's off limits. She has very powerful friends who can make life uncomfortable for you. How uncomfortable are we talking? Well, you've touched on this when you mentioned that it's normally basically a man that we see doing this kind of role, this kind of journey. What interested you in the character from a feminist perspective? I think that we don't usually see sort of naked ambition in women and we don't see um, characters who are written with no shame. Um, we, we, we seldom do. And I think it's very liberating to, to own those things. And I've always thought, you know, um, you know, if a male character, however extreme, you know, shows an ounce of niceness, it's sort of considered a massive bonus and they get so much of the goodwill and credit for just showing a sort of, you know, one nice deed. And, and yet if a woman doesn't display niceness I mean she's just dismissed out of hand so it was a sort of challenge to to play Marla and say okay you know a bit like that film that I did um all those years ago with Johnny Depp called The Libertine where he starts off so he says the first, he says something like don't like me at the start he said I'm asking you not to like me and and Marla's sort of saying the same she's sort of challenging uh, the audience say look I you know don't like me but still come with me um and you know she's not asking for the things that female characters usually are asking for which is empathy or understanding or she's not demanding any of that of an audience and it's I think that's what's liberating and exciting about it well yeah. that makes it exciting to us to watch not just because it's a really fun film but also how refreshing it is and there's another refreshing element, of course, that um, she happens to have a female partner, played by the wonderful Asa Gonzalez. Um, but this isn't particularly presented as LGBT film. It's not particularly remarked upon. It just is. And I was interested in the way that that was integrated into the story. Did that appeal to you? Yeah, I think Jay Blakeson, again, you know, credit to him. He has this very cool and easy way with um, just 
normalizing what's uh, historically often been marginalized or, or made a deal of or and he um he just inserted the fact that Marla is married to a woman into the script with such ease that we think, oh, of course, you know, yeah, mm. that's her that's her partner. And, and of course, that's how we've always come to accept straight relationships in film. And why, why does this seem remarkable? Oh, because that's not normally how it's done. And then you you just really admire it. You think, great. And of course, I, I, I you know, the, I, I wanted to be sensitive to the experience, which I don't have of, being with a woman and I checked in with my lesbian friends and talked to them about whether anything jarred. I mean, there, you know, but so there is so little to jar because there's, you know, it's not the subject of the drama, you know, yeah. not, uh, there's no sort of revelation or plot turn based on their sexuality. It's, it doesn't really have, and nobody, none of the other characters address it or pay any attention to it. So it's, um, it's, it's 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 it was it was it was I feel proud of it actually I feel proud of Jay and and sort of proud of the just the kind of the ease with which it's handled I think you hold stock in golden light care homes right yeah we have a chunk sign some over to me <laughs> come on I'm helping you feed the money monster but I hardly see any of the gold for myself give me a taste. Done. But it has to be a real cherry, bona fide. Jennifer Peterson. She's in reasonably good health, but recently she has shown some signs of memory loss and confusion. Significant. No, but we can tickle that to make an emergency hearing go our way. She has no kids, no husband, no living family. No family at all. She has very good insurance. She told me she used to work in finance in Chicago and moved here to retire. Can I get a copy of all this? You bet. I'll accept her test results. That wouldn't be ethical. Of course. It's interesting to look at the intimacy that your characters have in the light of Kira Knightley's recent comments about not working with male directors on sex scenes. Would you like to speak to, a bit to that and how Jay did, I thought, direct your scenes very sensitively from a viewer's perspective? I think um, we had an intimacy coordinator. Uh, there, 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 is, there, is, there are some scenes or one or two, one, one scene maybe that isn't in the final film that we, uh, we shot, um, which is perhaps more graphic. Um, and certainly, you know, we didn't feel uncomfortable at all. I mean, not at all. Um, I suppose we had, you know, the intimacy in in the shower scene, um, and you know, Jay Jay was utterly sensitive. I mean, he said, "This is all about this relationship." He said, "I'm not interested in nudity here. It's about intimacy, and I'm interested in 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 a rare moment of sort of truth and vulnerability for Marla in this. It's not about." you know, two women in a shower. It's about sort of washing away uh, this trauma. And so uh, I, I, I mean, you know, I respect anybody's preference. And I think, you know, it is very important when you're doing any intimate scenes that you feel comfortable. So however, 
you know you you are you feel comfortable that's the right way to go i think for actors of my generation the introduction of an intimacy coordinator is very interesting because obviously for years we've done it without yeah but i now see it and i see it, i see an intimacy coordinator on the show i'm working on being used for the younger actors and i can see how comfortable it makes them feel i mean for us it's it's strange and we don't quite know how to how to work with the intimacy coordinator because it's just not we're not experienced with it but for the young ones i mean it's you know the idea that they um you know that there'll be no uh there's barriers now placed you know hidden secret sort of barriers placed between actors wherever possible um and things like that which is just you know it's a new respectful world it seems like another good way to go and a sign of progress um another thing i liked about this film that uh, older women are so often underestimated or stereotypical and i love that the more elderly character in this film played by Diane Weist has some surprises up her sleeve, let's say. Um, where do you stand on the depiction of older women in film? And do you agree that this in particular is quite refreshing? I mean, certainly as I, as I grow up and um, grow wiser in the, in the film industry, I, I, I certainly want to see, you know, more and more interesting characters. I mean, I thought that was so remarkable about Chloe Zhao's film, you know, Nomadland, because suddenly here were all these interesting you know so interesting women in that film not just Frances McDormand's character but all the others uh you know I just thought wow you know these are just stories you've I've never heard I've never heard from these people um so Diane uh Diane's character in in our film yes you know here is ostensibly the victim who doesn't let herself be victimized and in fact right from the from the our first meeting where I come to her front door you know, Diane did not make that exchange easy for me. Um, whereas a different actress might have played her much more uh, n nervous or retiring or easy or pliant. Um, it was not easy to extract her. It's the, it's the, it's the scene that you see the beginnings of in, in the trailer. But, um, you know, Diane was robust and sort of laughed in my face at the suggestion that she might be struggling. And I love I sort of thought, God, this is, that's why you that's why you have an actress like Diane Wiest, because she she takes a line like, I'm not struggling. And instead of anxiously uh, informing you that she's not struggling, she just, she just laughs through it. <laughs> you know, sort of says, look, I mean, look at me. I'm not, I'm not struggling. I'm not struggling. Um, so I, I, I love that. And, and yes, and then you see, <laughs> you know, I think the message of our film is don't underestimate old people. Exactly. <laughs> Quite right. Really. <laughs> Mm. And I loved it when I saw it morphing into that kind of theme. Are there any other kind of themes that appeal to you in this film that you wanted to speak about before I let you go? I mean, somebody tried to ask me in an interview yesterday whether, you know, Aza and I were this couple who were sort of out to get men. And I was completely perplexed. I thought, no, that's not what this <laughs> no. film is about at all. Um, it's certainly not that. It's, it's, it's a satire on the capitalist dream. And I think that is what I love about it. I love the fact that you know, a, it, it's a sort of pulling back the blinkers on a very corrupt system that allows uh, illicit wrongdoers to, to succeed. You know, it's the fact that the legal system is um, the way it is, that Marla can harness it uh, to, 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 you know, exploit the vulnerable. 
Um, and I think, you know, in the, in the last year, we've seen the big business of medicine. We've seen what big business healthcare is. And, and I sort of think, I mean, obviously the ending of the film is the way it is, but I think what we are expecting is probably a different ending because that's actually probably the truth of this situation and how it would go. But also, you know, Marla's rise to success, you know, I think that in a couple of years, all the shady beginnings of her business would be washed clean, you know, because fortune and the making of a fortune is respected in America. I think whether or not, uh, you know, however it was made, I think just the creation of wealth is a gold in itself. And if you've done that, people believe you are to be admired. And so I think that's a big theme of this. Would you say in a way that system is the villain of the film rather than Marla? I think so. I, I think it is. I think I think that is the sort of undertone of it. I mean, Marla is a villain in in a, but but you know, I I also love the fact that Marla has, you know, she has no compunction. She seems totally amoral, and yet somebody also tried to say, is she a psychopath? I said, no, she's not a psychopath. She doesn't. Um, she wants to win, and she will if she thinks you haven't played fair, even though she's not playing fair. She has a sort of strange code of what is fair. So when um, the, what her nemesis sends sends some heavies with guns into the care home, she's like, "Don't bring guns into a care home." I mean, even despite everything that she's doing <laughs> in that care home, she's like, "Don't bring guns." You know, that's that's a step too far. And it's true, she never handles a gun. She uses a taser or a laser, or a, you know, and it's, it's the sort of, and those are the gray areas that, that makes Jay's writing so good. You know, nobody's all black and white. You know, Marla has, has limits. They're, they're much further on than most of our limits, but she, she has limits. Well, we love that on Girls on Film. It's a complex woman. So, Rosamund, thank you so much for joining us Thanks again so to talk about I Care A Lot. And best of luck with the fantastic Thanks film. Thanks so much. It's nice to see you again. That was Rosamund Pike. You can watch I Care A Lot on Amazon Prime Video now. My next guest is Stacey Martin, an Anglo-French actor who shot to fame in Lars von Trier's controversial film Nymphomaniac. She's since appeared in films including The Childhood of a Leader and Vox Lux. You can currently see Stacey in The Serpent on BBC iPlayer and in the film Archive, which is available for digital download in the UK. Stacey, welcome to Girls on Film. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Well, very pleased to have you here. Now, you won't remember this, but I interviewed you many years ago for Wonderland magazine for the film Nymphomaniac. Right. I, like, I thought your face looked familiar. It was in a funny little hotel, a really nice, actually, boutique hotel in Paddington. Yeah. It was a very unusual place. I think we did the interview on a bed, which is yeah. quite... <laughs> it was nice to see you again. <laughs> yeah, remotely. Um, and you were also a judge on 16 Days, 16 Films that we worked closely with. So that's, a, that's of course, close to our hearts. So it's great to have you on Girls on Film. I loved that. It was such a wonderful experience. Just to see so many new voices and short films, is a, it's a medium that you don't explore enough. And so suddenly to be able to watch so many, I just, I loved it. I really loved it. It's a brilliant initiative. And a lot of people listening will have seen you recently because The Serpent has been going great on TV and lots of people have been catching up with it. Um, for those who've been watching it and are not aware, can you explain your role? Oh, it's hard without any spoilers. It's really, I don't think I can. I might have to um, claim the Fifth Amendment on that one. <laughs> That's a fair point, actually. So you pay, let's say you play a key role yeah. and you come into it a little bit later. I can, um, yeah. 
a little bit later um, and it's sort of my role sort of explains a lot of Charles Sobrage, um, the serial killer, um, his actions and sort of his motivations behind a lot of his choices during the series. Very well put. And how was the shoot for that? <laughs> it was really great. Um, it was one of those shoots where I actually knew quite a lot of people already. I'd worked with Taha Rahim before and he's a really close friend. Jenna is also a really close friend. I knew Ellie from um, work. Um, so it was actually quite nice to be on set with people um, that I knew and that I also loved to watch work. Um, it's something that you kind of forget and then you see people, you chat to people, but you forget that they also do the same job as you. I mean, it's, it's a bit silly, but to see sort of Jenna work for me was really exciting because she's, I think she's a really wonderful actress, but she also had to learn French and she had to learn Quebecois, which is, even I can't speak Quebecois and I'm French. So it was just really incredible to be able to sort of suddenly sit back and watch all this talent out. Murdered travelers in Thailand and elsewhere. He poisons the kids, makes them believe they're sick. Monique, bring her some tea. He robs, kills. You can't catch the one. We might catch this one. This man will keep on killing until he is caught. What if he's never caught? What are you going to do? We just got back. You must let us buy you dinner. I've noticed that you often do speak both French and English in the roles that you take. Is that kind of sometimes written in or do you look for roles that allow you to do that? No, I don't. I'm very happy just speaking one language, to be honest. But um, it does sort of come up quite a lot, I think, because people know that I'm bilingual. They sort of um, make the most of it. And uh, for me, I don't really see the two languages as different as, as per. So it, it's kind of it's nice to be able to to dip um, foot in two ponds. Well, I really enjoyed your sci-fi archive, which people can watch now. Uh, this is a really, another one that's really hard to talk about without spoilers, isn't it? <laughs> it's quite frustrating, but I, I love those kind of atmospheric sci-fis that keep you guessing. Um, but can, you, can you explain your role in this without spoilers briefly? I think I can. So, um, I, so the story is about a scientist played by Theo James who, um, in a quest to reconnect with his wife, um, creates these robots and I play the third incarnation of these robots. Um, she's called J3. And she sort of arrives at a point where his, um, his developments are quite advanced. So she has a body, she has arms, she feels emotion, she knows who she is, she recognizes things. And, but she still has a, a, a level of, of confusion as to exactly what is going on. And so she goes on a sort of journey to find out exactly the truth behind, um, uh, behind George's um, intent. What do you think this film has to say about gender? Because I was very interested in the idea of a, almost like Frankenstein, a, a man creating a woman you know, or a robot in the image of a woman and kind of developing that and almost teaching her there's a bit of Pygmalion in there as well um yeah what kind of references did you get from that 
what I liked about it is that it's very, it's not a necessarily sort of um, outwardly moral film um, from the get-go, but it talks a lot about gender in the sense that it's, it is a man controlling his memory of a woman and the implications on that, not only on him, but on, on what he does and on his actions and they impact very heavily on the women that he creates, whether they are um, uh, at a younger stage, um, the earlier robots, J1 and J2 are much younger. And I thought it was really interesting to sort of see the ramifications of someone's sort of expectations on different ages and how actually that alienation isn't just through intellect. Like a man can alienate a child and he can alienate a teenager through his misconceptions of, of, of identity and what it is to, to, what it is to love. Um, and I had a lot of journalists ask me if it would be the same film if, if George's character was a woman. And, and I don't think it would. I think it would be very different. Um, not, and I'm not saying it in a negative way. I just think the way that um, men and women operate in terms of the character studies of enacting is, is just a very sort of black and white way and it is changing and it's evolving and, and thank God for that. Um, but I definitely think it would have been a very, very different film. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. I, I was having exactly that thought watching it because it does, it does invite that kind of thinking. What kind of conversations did you have with the writer director about that? Cause it is obviously a, a man who, mm. who did that. We didn't speak about it that much, but it was something that I was always kind of bringing up saying, of course my character feels frustrated and restrained because a man is telling her who she is when she knows who she is, but he's questioning that and he's asking her questions about what she likes and what she remembers and he's not giving her the space. And I think what was so also interesting for me is to see Gavin Rothery, the director, kind of take in those remarks and go, oh, I hadn't realized that at first, but you're right, let's play into this. And I loved the fact that he was open enough to have this conversation and to, to push things in that way because I'm not really the kind of person to have arguments or, or to sort of denounce things. Um, I like to talk and I like to bring up questions. Even if someone has a different opinion than me, I'm very happy to hear it. But I would much rather have a conversation about it than an argument. And Gavin was totally on board with it, um, which was really good. And I think it definitely changed some of the scenes that we had initially planned a certain way and that maybe kind of became something else. And with J2, who plays sort of the teenager version of, of my character, that came in quite a lot because it was important that we translated her frustrations, but her also her inability as a teenager to communicate confronted with an adult. It's sort of, I mean, it's mad. <laughs> we had a visit from the archive company. The subject is Almore Julie Alice. Term time so far, two years, eight months, four days. She's not ready to go yet. Of course. They think your robots might be based around their technology. We are obliged to act with force, if necessary. You made another like me. I'm not replacing you. 
put you to death. What was she like? She was perfect. I want to go home. This is home. Jules, can you hear me? Do not let her outside under any circumstances. You don't want to be trapped in a box dead. She's gone. I have to try and get her back. I am shutting you down immediately. What do they want? They want you. There was a line um, that I noted down with Theo James's character. George says, "Come, come, talk to me when you're feeling." a little bit less dramatic, which I thought was a really interesting line that plays into what you're saying there. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's sort of things as well that you might not necessarily, I think, openly see as controlling or disturbing. But when you really look at the dynamic between the characters and what they're doing and how something like that impacts on the psyche and on someone's actions, to say that to someone, it is soul crushing. and We've heard it so many times and I've heard it. I've, I've not been called dramatic, but in, in the same vein where I've, people have been like, oh, well, call us when you feel less opinionated or less, um, you know, strongly about this because it really isn't a big deal. And I'm thinking, well, no, you call me when you're fucking grown up and, and, and you can validate how I feel and you don't have to agree, but listen to how I feel and then we can move on, you know? How have you navigated the industry? As you suggested, it hopefully is now starting to change, but what kind of challenges have you found based on gender in the last you know, decade, whatever, that you've been working? Uh, I mean, I, I kind of got thrown in the deep end because the first film I did was with Lars von Trier and it was... Um, nymphomaniac with and it had a lot of nudity and and I got a lot of backlash and a lot of a lot of it was weird I got a lot of backlash and I got a lot of concern and what annoyed me the most was the concern because it took away my space for choice and my responsibility and also my performance I worked really hard for that film and people were saying that you know I had been mistreated that I'd been lied to that an actress in a first role shouldn't be put in the, under these circumstances. And suddenly I was almost like out of the conversation. So I sort of had to really assess how I was going to speak about the film in a way that gave me back that control. And I realized very quickly that this isn't an industry where I can, in all honesty, work if I'm not in love with the project. Um, it's, it's something that is kind of even stronger now during the pandemic, but even beforehand, if it's not something that I can stand behind and defend with my whole heart and my whole soul, I'm going to find it very difficult um, because it is a very cutthroat industry and I think things are changing for the better, but it's going to take another five, 10 years um, because it's, it's a lot of invisible changes that are very hard to maneuver and hard to to put in place but I am hopeful and I, and I do think that people's um, mindsets or the way that they relate to stories is changing I'm reading a lot more scripts about female characters who aren't the wife or who are the wife but who kind of 
come away from that and become their own selves. Whereas before, and I would be asked to play roles that would be 15 year olds. And I would ask the directors and go, why do you think I'm adequate to play a 15 year old? Like that is so wrong on so many levels because even the way that you perceive a 15 year old is then now completely misconstructed. Um, and that I'm not getting anymore. So for, I think that, yeah, I think, I think I need to be a bit less um, negative. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you've got a good balance there between sort of realism and hope. That's what we try to achieve on Girls on Film as well. We're fighting for change and I think it is slowly happening. And um, you've spoken out about the pay gap as well in the past. Um, how, how do you feel that fight is going? In my case, not very well. I know for a fact that um, it is still not an open conversation um, in terms of how much I'm getting paid compared to how much my fellow actors are being paid. And this isn't um, to say that they are not as good or they don't deserve to be paid what they're being paid, but people are still, I think, treading on eggshells. I think it's very hard to get into that conversation because the, the pay gap implies a lot of people. There's lawyers, there's agents. And when you do that on a film cast, you're talking to 10 lawyers, you're talking to 10 agents, 10 different types of requests. And so it becomes a sort of quagmire. Um, and I would just love for it to just, I would love a system to be put in place where the lead roles get paid a certain percentage, the supporting roles get a certain percentage, um, and, 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 and you know that's defined by the film budget or, or, or the investors and, and how they feel about it. But at least that there is some sort of system put in place that we don't have to keep forever, but that it kind of readjusts a little bit because I know a lot of people who will go on a film for 10 days and they get paid 10 times more than me. And I've been working 30 days every day, every scene of the day. And I don't, I barely get a credit. And it's about the recognition at the end of the day. It's about saying, these people are working really hard. What are they due? It's a very, for me, it's a very simple thing, but I think it's going to be very difficult. And we need to find a way to almost sort of make it a system, <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, the system's being put in place in, in awards and such like ceremonies to try to get more gender parity. So on the pay side, that sounds like a very good suggestion. Um, was there anything else on the kind of feminist side that you wanted to talk about? Because I know that you're a, you feel strongly about these matters. And that's one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you. I mean, I, it's so funny, because I just I've never... I've never not seen myself as, 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 as someone who is sort of just an actress. Like for me talking about what I do and my choices and, and, you know, it sort of is a very logical thing to do. And people have always said, Oh, you feel so strongly about equal rights. I'm like, well, yeah, but doesn't everybody? Like if you ha I'm not a spokesperson. I'm happy to speak about things, but I think there's also that danger with public figures where we expect them to be public figures, uh, public spokespeople. And, and I think they can, we can help a lot of causes and we can talk about things, but we also say a lot of rubbish things. And, 
And I think it's about kind of minimizing maybe the importance of what we say and just sort of putting the priority on the conversation that's being started. And for me, it's more about asking people questions or talking to you about things that we might talk about certain issues that I might not think about today because I didn't have this, I wouldn't have had this thought without you. Um, and I just love seeing people suddenly go, oh, that's, I hadn't thought of that or I hadn't really figured this out properly and maybe now talking has is, 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 is been a way of, of suddenly shining light on an issue that I care about. And, and yeah, it's, it's kind of why I like being a jury, for example. And, and on um, the 16 Day 16 Films, what I loved also is just to hear Ron's opinion and to hear what they were thinking about and what came up for them in terms of the, the sort of, there were lots of issues of racism and issues of class and, and I loved it. And there were things that I naively didn't think about. And I loved sitting there going, why didn't I see this? Why didn't I see this issue? Or why didn't I see this incredible performance? I'm gonna go back and look at this film again. Um, and yeah, I think one of my sort of hopes or sort of aims is to sort of, I would love to create a sort of space of, of, of conversations, of communication to put people, not to define anything, so I think it's very dangerous to define things or thoughts, but just to have a space where people can communicate and not feel the pressure of decision of, of judgment and just go this is how I feel about female mutilation and this is how I feel about racism and can someone help me on pay and can someone you know or just help me to just go to the shop tomorrow like I just love this idea of, of having people more open to talk um, so that's what I'd like to do. Hence why I love podcasts. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was going to say that's kind of what we're hoping to do here, just have great conversations. And now obviously, of course, actions speak louder than words sometimes. What kind of roles are you looking for? And have you got anything you can reveal in the pipeline? Um, so I think it's, I'm really excited to work. I'm actively looking for a world where I am not playing someone's love interest. Um, I think I've had an amazing run at it and, and the roles that I have played um, on that front, I've really enjoyed. Um, so I don't want to like ditch them at all. But I just, I'd love to play like a lawyer or, you know, like a boxer, um, play a job or play for fight for a cause or a soldier or just... I think something that really takes me away from the in love narrative. Um, so that's what I'm doing so far. Not so great. Um, <laughs> annoyingly, um, reading a lot of love stories, which are good, but just probably not for me. Um, but I am going to be in Brady Corbet's third film called The Brutalist. Um, and that I'm very excited about. It's about a, um, architect who um, immigrates to America and he basically he runs away from the Nazis and it's sort of his his story of integration and how he is treated by the American um, for being Jewish and being talented and 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 it's um it sort of talks a lot about the other and or the foreigner and and sort of their worth um, and I say that very carefully 
um, because I've always, I've traveled a lot as a kid and, and I've always felt like that foreigner and I've always felt like I didn't quite fit in. Um, so it's sort of a theme that I, I kind of relate to quite a lot. And can you say more about your role in that? Not really. It's going to be another top secret <laughs> thing. I to do these roles where I'm like, it's great, but I go home talking about my role. I understand. Well, we will be watching closely. And maybe you can come back on Girls on Film and tell us more about it. Um, it's been a delight to have you. Um, before you go, is there anything you've been watching that you would recommend to people in isolation and lockdown at the moment? It's not very joyous, but um, I did watch The Ripper on Netflix. And I mean, we all know the story and we all sort of know the facts and what happened. Um, but what I loved about this particular documentary on it is that it was kind of a modernized take on the investigation and it, it kind of took it back to the victims and it took it back to the failings of an investigation and of, of the officers that were in place at that time and how even though it was a time where sort of you know, there's this sort of hippie movement going on and sort of the women's liberation was, was also around, but they were, it was also a time where women were being judged for all of that. And a lot of the victims were immediately considered prostitutes because they were having sex. And that actually a lot of that was detrimental to their investigation. And a few women who um, had been attacked um, in the past in very similar ways to how the victims had been attacked had gone to the police and had said, I think this is the guy, I think this is him. And they were totally disregarded because they were sort of seen as, as kind of dangerous women or, or, or again, just a prostitute or she liked a wild night. And that take for me on, on a documentary was, I just loved seeing these women suddenly go, what about my justice? I almost died and the officer's going, well, you're alive, you, should, you know, he is in prison. And they go, well, but it's still my justice. And that for me was really powerful. That's a good recommendation. I'm going to check that out. Thank you very much. Well, Stacey, thank you so much for joining Girls on Film. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Hopefully um, you can have me back soon. <laughs> We'd love that. That'd be great. Thank you for joining thank us. Thank you so much. And stay safe. You too. That was Stacey Martin, and you can rent or buy the film Archive in the UK now. If you enjoyed my conversation with Rosamund Pike and would like to see a video version of it, head over to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash girlsonfilmpodcast. If you can afford to bung us a quid or two while you're there to support us, that would be fabulous. But if not, just enjoy the video. You can also watch me and Rosamund have a chat for the film Radioactive on the BFI's YouTube channel. Girls on Film is an HLA production brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, audio producer Tom Wally, assistant producers Heather Dempsey and Eliana J, and our principal partner Peter Brewer. I've been your host Anna Smith and it's been lovely to have you with me for our latest isolation pod. We'll be releasing a new episode with special guests very soon. Make sure you hit subscribe to be the first to hear it. Meantime, stay safe, everyone, and stay feminist. My name is Marla Grayson. I'm just someone who cares. <laughs>